guys. Welcome to our podcast. We, we are, are Legalese. Legalese. A podcast bringing you truth, power, and awareness. I'm your host, Toria. And I'm your host, Mel Marie. And today we are talking about a very important criminal case. Very important. Yeah. I like to think. But first, we're going to give you our hot topics. So. Gorilla Goo. Gorilla Goo. First hot topic. It, this story, I don't even know how to start it off. There was a video, a TikTok, about this girl. And she had, well, she's a woman. Yes. Apparently she's 40 years old. Really? Yeah, she doesn't look it. And she had her hair sleeked down in like a backwards ponytail, ponytail. kind of? Yeah. yeah. And she ran out of like got to be spray, which is basically what you hold your edges for and yeah. your design. Yeah. And instead she used Gorilla Glue. Maybe she mistake it, mistaken it for a Gorilla Snot. Have no idea. Maybe. But she used it and her hair has been stuck in that position for, for over a month. Yeah, she said a month, and then she said she tried to wash it like five 15 times. Time. 15, 15 times. 15 times. 15 times. Yeah. And it didn't budge. And it looks like it's like stuck or spray painted onto her scalp. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. And you look, that's that's impressive. I mean, <laughs> even impressive. the Gorilla Glue Company, you know, commented on her TikTok. Yeah. And they were like, um, I don't think that's what our products are used They're for. They're like, we're industrial. I don't know where you're using your stuff. Why you would put that on your it's hair? It's not a hair product. And it even says it on the back. Like, it's not for your snuff make contact with your skin. Yeah. So, like, why are you putting that there? Maybe she thought, like, oh, I could just put this glue on my hair and then just, like, take it off. But Gorilla Glue is strong. Yeah. And so, apparently, they were, like, they recommended using acetone. Acetone or uh, alcohol to soak her hair and yeah. alcohol to see if it, like, Fudge. Someone said WD, WD forty, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. I know. Maybe it's acetone. Maybe. I mean, I don't. If it was me, I would shave my hair off at that point. You can't because it's so it's stuck to her scalp though. Like the like the hairstyle is supposed to be swooped down. Yeah. So I don't think her hair is growing to where there's like that. You know, that little length for length, her to yeah, shave to it. Shave off. it. I guess. I guess she'll just have to dissolve her hair and then shave it after. But I that was that was like a whole mystery. I was like my I, heart dropped watching it. Yes, and I was like, I want to test this out. Not on myself, but <laughs> test like, it. I, I want to test it out like like a dummy. You know, like how they have like the the heads. Oh, the mannequins. Yeah, the mannequins. Yeah. And test it out and see if that's possible. I feel like there, that's definitely off. possible. It yeah, has to be. It's hair, like hair. Yes, it holds a lot. Of yeah, like a lot of oil, too. Yeah. Like a lot of that oil. Nothing. I feel like WD-40s may be thick. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like WD-40. But this is the first time I heard this happening. Yeah. So that's why it went viral on Twitter and TikTok, because she put Glorilla Glue on her hair and <laughs> thought it was a hair product. Her hair did look good, by the way, though. It looked nice. If my hair was going to get stuck in that position, I'd rather be that hairstyle. Someone said she going to wear that for the next couple years. <laughs> oh, I know her head is hurting because I know ponytails are tight and whatnot. But That's funny. That's what happened. And then um, Trump's impeachment trial. Apparently, it's set to start the week of February 8th, which should be the beginning of next week. Yeah. It's Monday. Coming. Um they, I guess they wanted to give him some time to get his legal team all situated. So yeah. now it's finally happening. This is the second impeachment. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, tune and see what happens. 
Um, and then on to Trump-related news, his longtime supporter, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's known as like MTG, like on social media, she um, just got removed from her position I as a congress. She was trending. I saw She was that. trending for like over a week. Um, well, she lost her job because she was supporting and liking and uh, promoting things that were deemed racist, anti-Semitic, and promoting conspiracy theories with no, like the school shootings and um, 9-11. And also from what happened January 6th with the promoting, yeah, yeah, the Capitol and uh, basically promoting violence against her Democratic colleagues. So I think that's definitely something that, that should be crazy. considered. It's crazy how she did that and she had grounds for removal like yeah. like that. It's so interesting that she's the one that tried to impeach Biden and look at her losing her job literally a week that later. That was her? That was her. Wow. <laughs> we, just just talked, <laughs> we just talked about that like a week or yeah. two ago. Like, Look at her. Biden just got into office and she's the one that wanted to that get him. Her? Yeah. Wow. That so. was quick. That's funny. That Look how the quick. tables have turned. That was real quick. On to other news, Johnson & Johnson. Um, they're now part of the, what is it, the vaccine gang? Like They're now one of the people that are promoting and trying to get into the business of doing vaccines. Really? Yeah, along with Pfizer and Moderna. I think, yeah, Moderna. They're, but their Johnson & Johnson's vaccines is different than Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Um, currently, their approach is to instruct human cells to make the SARS-2 spike protein, mm -hmm. which then triggers the immune response in the body. And also, it what else happens? I don't know. And that's it, I guess. I don't. That, I don't have no idea about the vaccine, that but is, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to sell it and only get it for people who are 16 and older. That is interesting because I, when I think of Johnson Johnson, I think of like lotions and body baby wash. care. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have thought they would have dabbled in like the field of vaccines or medicine or the medical field in general. Well, that's interesting, especially now. There's like a third. This is the third one, and I know other companies are trying to make vaccines for COVID too. So we'll see what happens and what. Oh. By the way, this only this vaccine apparently has a sixty six percent efficiency, so we'll see how that goes. That's really interesting because I didn't know. I don't know. I guess I'm not too versed in like the medical field, but I thought you had to get that stuff checked out through higher ups and people who were actually in the medical field to be able to they give did out vaccines. They did do different chest trials, but again, there's so many strains of the COVID vaccine, so. Mm -hmm. Whatever strain that they use, only 60%, 66%. But it's okay. We'll, okay. we'll figure it out. We'll They'll figure it happens. out. Three different vaccines. Ooh, we'll and definitely I'm, see what happens. Are you Now you know that there's three different options. Would you take one now? I'm still a little skeptical. Because it's like, which one is the right one? <laughs> Not the right one, but I know there's different strains. But which one at least yeah. is more effective for one of the strains? I agree. And then why do three different companies have it? Like if I, let's say, will you have to have health insurance or a certain type of health yeah. insurance to be able to afford the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Like, it's, it's just a lot. You do. <laughs> it depends. At least with the demographic I work with, you 
when they said that they are going there, mm-hmm. they're asking them for health insurance cards, which doesn't make sense. If I mean, if you're the goal is trying to get it to as much people as possible, mm-hmm. and currently they're not meeting their marker with that, with getting people vaccinated, mm. wouldn't you just give it for free? I don't know why they're not. I wouldn't take it still, but if your goal is to get over 300 million Americans vaccinated, um, free is the best. Yeah, free is the best option. Apparently, they're already running out, but... Oh, yeah. I can't remember where it was. There was a place, and I think they left the vaccine out, or, yeah, they weren't able to, like... Something happened with the vaccines, and so they were like, anyone who wants to get a vaccine, like, they were just giving it to people. Because they didn't want it to, like... Spoil the good away. I can't remember what state it was. Who but that knew? happened. Who knew we would have been here Girl. or ended up here? Pandemic a year ago. COVID 19. Just now finding a vaccination yeah. and giving it out. And people still are kind of iffy about trusting it or not. But we will see. That it's literally how all, this whole year has been like a we will, we will see, see. <laughs> what happens. Another thing that was trending this week was the farmers in India protesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently the farmers are protesting against new laws liberalizing agricultural markets spread across India. And the farmers have blocked roads. They have sat and squatted on railroads. And they're, they basically don't want their country or their government for a fact basically making rules because that would hurt them instead of helping them just to fill in line pockets of big companies and this is what like people are saying like local farmers are saying and i completely agree same i'm like benefit your citizens why are you especially with companies that aren't even in america yeah like, why not? You shouldn't invest in your employees, if anything, because they're the ones yes. making you the money. You should invest in your country. <laughs> How about that? Isn't right? that common knowledge? So, I'm good luck them to them. Protesting. Yeah, good luck to them and on that journey. I, I hope they do well. And then in next news, I know maybe many of you have known. It's February. Many, yeah, February. <laughs> Black History Month. Um, so a little Black History Facts. In the year 1926, Carter G. Woodson came up with the idea to have a Black History Week in the second week of February because most of the schools during that time weren't teaching Black History. And I'm not going to, I mean, I kind of present too. <laughs> yeah. I would say it's a little bit of pre- presently too. Um, and it later was petitioned to become Black History Month in the 1960s. So without Carter G. Woodson, there wouldn't have been a Black History Month. But in my eyes, every day is Black History. So. But, yeah. you know, this is just the official one for it. So, And I would also say go shop at Target. They're very, like, hands-on right now and promoting Black creatives and Black designers. Yeah. With, it doesn't matter. Like, I just checked their website. They have makeup artists. They have, like, the Black Girl sunscreen. They have the clothes, like, the designers. It's They have a whole Black history section. Yeah. It's very interesting. I'm like, this is what we need. This is promotion right it's about time so much right and and i do appreciate the other companies that are putting out like either messages or like promoting artists and people in their fields Mm -hmm. who are black because we should look at their work and recognize it most of the culture comes from most of the culture comes from us yeah truthfully so (laughs) that was yeah that was our hot hot topics. topics 
And today we are going to be talking about Centoya Brown. Yeah, so we'll see you soon. Hey guys, so we'll be talking about the Centoya Brown case today. Um, this is a really groundbreaking case. Um, I know it's very publicized in late 2017 um, via social media, um, petitions, and the news. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting story about tra tragedy, redemption, and personal development. Yeah. So, do you I'll have start. a little background on Centoya and her yeah. life and her upbringing? So, Centoya Denise Brown was born on January 29th in 1988. Um, her birth, her birth, birth mother, Georgina Mitchell, had her at the age of 16. However, by the time Centoya was two years old, her mother was no longer able to take care of her. And Ellenette Brown, a teacher in the neighborhood, uh, adopted her and took up the mantle of being a mother for Centoya. As Centoya got older, however, she started having more developmental issues, issues yeah. and behavioral issues that escalated over the years. Uh, Centoya got herself kicked out of school several times. She ran away from home. She even got sent to alternative school and ended up dropping out of school. Um, she later explains that she wanted to leave the home and run away because she wanted to drink, smoke, and basically be free. So it seems like she was a little bit of like a troubled teen. Kind of, yeah. So it all starts, this case starts on August 6th, yes. um, 2004. So at the time, Centoya was 16 years old and she had a boyfriend by the name of Cutthroat. Cutthroat, cutthroat. Chop, no, AKA no, Cut. No legal name, just Cutthroat. cutthroat. <laughs> and apparently Cutthroat was like 24. He was 24 years old, but he was like a dealer, pimp, kind of person yeah, in her I, life. They um, described him as her pimp. Yeah. So they spent time in hotels and getting high. Getting drunk. Get, yeah, doing drugs, things like that, and having sex. And this is all in Centoya's words. And on the night of the August 6th, 20, I'm sorry, 2004, Cut was basically saying that she was slacking and that she needed to make money for them and that she needed to go out and, you know, prostitute, yeah, basically. Give herself her money. So there was an area outside of the motel that they were in. And in this area, there was like either a gas station, a Sonic, and just like a little dirt road kind of. And this is where she met Johnny Allen. And by the way, this is all happening in like around the Nashville, Tennessee area. Mm -hmm. So she met Alan at a Sonic and basically they talked, they ordered food. And then he asked her if she wanted a ride. Yeah, and negotiated prices for services. So he knew what she was there for and she knew what he, he was, was there, there for. for. Yeah, they apparently they decided on $150 for that evening mm -hmm. and she went to his house. Apparently, he suggested it, and when they got back to his house, she said that she felt threatened because she saw two shotguns and another gun mm -hmm. that he had just in his home. Um, also, she got food from Sonic, so she was, was eating. Yeah, she was eating. She sat at the table, um, and he kept 
talking about his guns and stuff and she felt like it was coming off as like controlling and aggressive trying so. to harm her possibly yeah and apparently he was also talking about himself a as lot. well yeah so during the time he was a real estate agent he was also a volunteer in the community mm -hmm. so he was well known and he also talked about how he served in the army in the past and that women wanted him for his money and he didn't like that Hence, hence the situation he paying. is paying a prostitute for sexual services <laughs> the irony of it all so at the house Centoya was I guess in her mind she was thinking well I can like extend the night just say like I want to watch TV say I'm tired and then we can go to bed and she was gonna plan on like sneaking out later because she felt uncomfortable so. I would too with all those guns. Those guys <laughs> those. Guns. So as soon as I met him, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> so, according to her, uh, at this point, she didn't want to have sex with him. Um, and the only reason she, I guess, wanted to go to the living room was so she could be close to the door because it was like her talking through the case as investigators were like investigating her. her. Yeah. yeah. So, she uses the excuse that they should go to sleep because she feels a little tired. And her plan was when they had fell asleep, she was going to sneak out, as we said before. So they were in bed at this point. And he had been going in and out of the bed. And the fifth time he came back to bed, he was handling her really aggressively, in her words. Um, she said that he was grabbing her legs, grabbing her shoulders, and basically trying to insinuate and get, like, get sex started. Yeah. And she kept pretending like she was asleep, so he would stop, but he continued to handle her aggressively. And she describes him giving her this very fierce look. And then he rolls over, but she assumes that he rolled over to reach for something. Something I guess she thought was going to be a gun or something to hit her with. So since she thought that he was going to roll over to get something, she rolls over. Okay. She, she grabs gun. her gun. She grabs his gun. Is this a gun? I, I, I want to say it was his, it was her gun. It wasn't even her gun. I think it was Cutthroat's gun that he that just gave, gave her, her protection. protection. Yeah. So since she, I guess, feared for her life, she grabbed the gun first and then shoots him. In Bas the head. Yeah. Basically saying that she shot him because she thought that he was going to shoot her first. So this is the whole case now. That's that's the whole backstory. That's what happens. Toya, Mr. Allen, and the crime. So, so two days later, she gets investigated. She gets the detectives find her, get her, well, detain her, and start questioning what's going on. And this was August 8th, 2004. And this was happening around 328 a.m. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so Detective Charles Robinson and another person questioned her about the shooting. And before there was any major conversations, the detectives stated that they would give her a deal by talking to the DA um, if they spoke, if she spoke with them. Then they briefly read her her rem rem Miranda, Miranda rights. <laughs> and there's five of them. It's very important to know. However, they don't say all of the five Miranda rights. They only say like two of them. Interesting later on in the case. So the problem here is that at the time, Centoya was 
when she was detained, she was under the influence. She said she was like drunk and high when they were talking to her. So she wasn't in the clear state of mind. So is her agreeing to the Miranda rights even valid? And then she was also underage, right? It was a minor. Yeah. And so typically a lot of minors don't know this. And a lot of people who are young don't really know this, but 90% of juveniles don't understand the Miranda rights. So they are thinking in their mind, oh, if I talk to the cop, if I speak to them, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be fine. They're going to think I'm innocent. Like it's not that big of a deal. When in reality, they're writing out notes. Everything you say can and will be used against you. That is one of your Miranda rights. And once you waive that, everything she said was used against her in court. And unfortunately, we see how that happens. (laughs) So... Um, so yes, so after that, after speaking to the cops, she was placed into the Davidson County Juvenile Detention Center in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and charged with armed robbery, criminal homicide, and possession of a weapon, and criminal impersonation. So all states have laws around juvenile juveniles being transferred to adult systems for serious offenses, including uh, murder and homicide. However, Tennessee is the harshest um, with mandatory minimum life sentencing uh, once transferred to an adult system. And also with what, 50? It's like 60 years years with the possibility of parole after 51 years. After 51 years, yeah. That's like, that's your whole life. Literally half of a person's life. That's ridiculous. And the most, and life expectancy in the U.S. is like 72 years old. So that's so, literally yeah. your life in prison for something you did when you were 16. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is. It is very much so. So do you think, quick pause, but do you think that children who commit crimes like this should be in prison for 50 years? Like felonies? I would say it's, it's on a case basis, like based on the facts. If anything, a correctional facility, I think we get into this mindset of locking someone up once they do something bad and just not even revisiting that person's life again, even mm-hmm. though that person had a life. Um, so we, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't. That's so weird to I'm, me. Yeah, it is. It very much is. And I just don't think in her case, when we get to everything that happened, on, in more details. In her case, I just don't think she should have, you know, spent that long. Especially when it was over sex. Like, it was just, like, a something she didn't want to do. And mm-hmm. she was underage. Like, the whole thing was just a mess. So, I don't think she should have spent 50 years in prison for this. But that's just me. You have your own uh, ideas. But, you know, the Tennessee law. Tennessee law. So on September 1st, 2004, um, Centoya was visited by two psychiatrists and for psych and developmental evaluations. And at this time, she was incarcerated for around three weeks. Dr. Burnett and Dr. Walker were both forensic psychiatrists, and they were there to identify problems that she had wanted to figure out why she was acting the way she was and if anything that they can do can help her be treatable. 
And, yeah. and he, one of the diagnoses they came up with was a personality disorder based off of the evaluation. Exactly. Yes. And so they asked her questions about like who she is, how she grew up, um, what experiences that she had, how does she feel? And she talked about having mood swings and how she was happy one minute, depressed another. Um, what else? She, she talked about her family. And oh, how yeah. They had a passive alcoholism and suicide. Yes. And, and she said that, for quote, she feels and says what others want her to say. She never felt loved. And she just feels old, tired, and weary. Um, and they also did the Roberts apperception test and also like an ink block test ink blot test with her and this is basically giving her images and her basically telling a story about them they're very ambiguous so some of the images she said that one of the girls was killing the other another image she said there was a couple uh arguing and they're quarreling and then there was another group of girls and then she saw these images as like manipulative uh relationships and a bitter and jealous girls and very combative relationships instead of maybe like a friendship or other things going on. So that was what she did. And they realized after that all of her ideas were negative and chaotic. And the doctor stated, as you said, that they were basically had a personality disorder and that she needed therapy and rehab rehabilitation. So it's, I, I'm not going to say it's understandable, but looking back on her like teen life and her always running away, the alcoholism, not, you know, being in a stable home growing up until after she was adopted, mm -hmm. I can see how all of these prognoses could come up after. Yeah. So on November 3rd, 2004, Centoya was in jail for around two months. And her legal team wanted to have a meeting with her mother, her biological mother and her adopted, adopted mother, mother, I guess you can say. Um, yeah, I'm going to say like birth mother for her main mother and then like mother for her, her actual mom. Yeah. Okay. So her birth mom was basically telling them about her upbringing as well. And it's very similar to, to Centoya's. She said that their possible genetic and you know familial challenges that they were experiencing because her mother admitted to drinking and using crack during her pregnancy with Suntoya. And she also states that she got attention from close males and would drink with them. And when what and after eight months of Suntoya, um, when she was eight months old, she was introduced to like cocaine. So she was doing heavy drugs and also prostituting, which led her to get getting arrested in December 13th, um, 1988, a couple months after having having Centoya. Yeah. So that's that's so crazy. And the whole pattern happens too with uh Centoya herself. Centoya's grandmother. Oh. Yeah. So Centoya's mother. Oh, her grandmother basically went through alcoholism. The same thing. Alcoholism, um, abusing she drugs, molestation, rape. Like she hated herself. She just had horrible experiences growing up. And her 
grandmother, biological grandmother was like, if my mother just had a hysterectomy, we would not even have to deal with any of this oh because gosh. none of them would be here. You know, she was basically stating that was very genetics. Um, so she basically got a lot of her problems from, from the family. It just ran through the whole generation to generation. Um, however, Centoya's mother, Elanette Brown, was saying that she had trouble with her growing up and that Centoya was a wild child and she just had her issues and would run away and do things like that. So that was their meeting and they just wanted to give the judge a picture of what the family looks like. Yeah. Hey, look at what her mother went through and this is what she experienced. This is what her mother experienced. This is what Elanette is saying about raising Centoya. Like, understand that this is not just somebody who just is killing to kill. Mm -hmm. This is what... She's a product. She's a product. <laughs> yes, yeah. genetics. And so they went with that um, in court. Also, she was being tried in the juvenile courts before even being sent to the criminal courts. So they were trying to see if they could try her as an adult. Because if they were to try her as an adult, she would get the harshest mandatory minimum life sentence due to the Tennessee law. November 4th, 2004, they had a hearing in a juvenile court to see whether or not Centoya's case was gonna be tried in adult court or juvenile court. And if she was staying in juvenile court and they chose you know, that option, then she would stay until she was 19 years old and then I guess they would deliberate after. Mm -hmm. um, however, if she was transferred to adult court, she would you know, face the Tennessee's life in prison. Um, her judge was Judge Adams Green, and basically, the judge decided after that trial to just transfer her to the adult system. So, on March 24th, 2005, Centoya was 17 years old, awaiting criminal trial, and at this point, she was incarcerated for seven months from when the incident happened. Her legal team was Wendy Tucker and Rich McGee, and they agreed to represent her in her trial. So, I think it was around, like, since then, a couple months, her legal team was strategizing how to, you know, get her out and, you know, fight for her freedom. And, again, she was charged for first-degree murder. And something that they brought up was the Miranda rights waiver situation that occurred with the dish, the detective on the case, Charles Robinson. And fun fact, 90% of juveniles arrested in the U.S. don't understand their Miranda rights. So, and they also speak to police or a parent without an attorney present. So yeah, without a parent or attorney, which is crazy. Like they need security. Like they don't fully understand what's going on. Yeah. And they think that, like we said before, that they're safe and they turn out that they're not. So can you specifically say or state what the Miranda rights are, yes. what they mean. So there are five. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. You have the right to an attorney. And if you cannot afford an, an attorney, you will be given one. And lastly, you have the right at any time to not answer any questions. And I can understand for a juvenile, for a child to not be heard and understood any of the things you just stated. Yeah. And like, just want to basically, how you say it, plead the sixth, plead the fifth. Plead the fifth, yeah. <laughs> on themselves, but they don't understand it because they don't really, they're not really versed with the 
justice system, they know they do something wrong. They know there's going to be consequences, but they don't understand that they don't have to perjure themselves, basically. Exactly. They don't have to say anything because what it says. But even when they're saying, hey, you remain silent, you know, anything that you say will be used against you. Mm -hmm. These detectives are still asking questions. Yeah. They're like, so tell me about yourself. Tell me this. And trying to get them to open up. Which is ridiculous. It's like pestering like, them. It's like, can you not? I don't know y'all do it. Exactly. They know what they're doing, especially in that meeting we discussed. That detective was basically insinuating that, that she did the crime, that she did the crime, and that she would he would talk to the DA for her. And in her mind, she thinks she's protected and get her a deal and get her a deal. And that's not the so she's already agreeing to things that exactly. she doesn't even understand. Exactly. So. Oh my goodness. So. On August 21st, 2006, Tentoya is 18 years old at this point. Now, remember, she was arrested at 16. She's 18 now. <laughs> this is the morning of her criminal trial, and this at this point, she was incarcerated for two years. The judge over her case was Judge Randall Wyatt Jr., and during this trial, a lot went down. I don't, I'm not sure it lasted more than a day. I don't think so. I don't think it lasted more than a day. They came to the verdict. Oh, they came to the verdict four days after. So it was over a span of time. Um, during the trial, they went through the facts of the case. The medical examiner stated that the wound was fatal. And they really couldn't save the John, not the John Doe, but his name was Alan. Yeah, was Alan. Johnny Allen. Yeah, at that point. So can you describe how the jury was set up or? Yeah, definitely. So as we stated, the basically the point was to tell the story of what could have happened mm -hmm. and hopefully would have been done to incident Toya's favor. They described that she was beaten and pimped out by cutthroat, how she was raped in the past and that she wanted to basically feel safe and be protected. And when Johnny was grabbing her, she thought that this can be the end, especially since no one knew where she was. Cutthroat didn't care about her. She was like, it's me or it's him. And so she took her chances. As a form of like self-defense. Yeah, basically. And as you stated, um, Amy McMaster, which is the medical examiner on mm -hmm. that case, her goal and purpose was basically to investigate sudden, sudden and unnatural deaths. And she said, like you stated before, it was fatal and that he had his hands crossed when he was shot through the back of his head. And Lisa, she was the assistant DA on that case as well. She was basically stating her point and was saying that basically what she found out that she, I don't know, like how she handled the case, maybe um, the fact that she was given and basically stating her point of view regarding Centoya. However, the jury was kind of mixed. Um, racially, it was black and white. Age-wise, the people looked between the ages of like 30, like mid-30s to like 60-ish, and there was a good mix of men and women. Okay. So, oh, and so one of the things was that her... I guess her lawyers were trying to say was what 43 year old man is driving around looking for young girls to at sleep a Sonic. With. At a Sonic. Right. And so, and not only that, 
witnesses said that they thought that Centoya was his daughter because she was 16 years old and she looked so young. They thought that she was either his daughter or a relative or someone close to him. Hence the reason why they were there, especially at nighttime. They didn't think that it was a sex deal or a prostitution happening. So Alan technically committed a crime on his own he part. But he committed a crime, yeah, as well. With con I guess conspiring to sleep with a minor <laughs> and to pay to sleep with a minor. So And even though they know this and they heard this, the jury still said she was guilty on all charges. And that after six hours of deliberating. Isn't that crazy? Six hours. A 16-year-old minor was being prostituted. Was being a prostitute. He willfully chose her, brought her to his home with intentions to sleep with her and give her $150. Really? Okay. Uh, and uh, he's dead. And we'll state our opinions at the end yeah, of it. Yeah, we'll state our opinions at the end. We'll, we'll just represent the facts. But she was found guilty of first-degree murder, felony murder, and aggravated robbery because she also, after the incident happened, she was found with his wallet and his truck, I believe. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Yes. <laughs> she was like, I guess she didn't have a way to get home. Which or... makes sense because, I mean, what are you going to do? She didn't even drive his, like, she he picked her up. He picked her up. Yeah. So she didn't have anywhere else to go. Like, there was an Uber in 2004. There yeah. was a Lyft in 2004. So, yeah. That was crazy. And what else? Oh, so after that, she was on the phone with her mom and basically was telling her mom that she didn't want her to stress or have a stroke and basically saying, I'm going to be fine in prison. Like, don't worry about me. Like, live your life. Mm -hmm. And then let's see what happened. March 27, 2008. So this is like a couple more years later. After, yeah, so she was in prison for a while because she was for like to five life. years. Yeah, she was tried she's in, in prison adult for court. five years with a pro bono team in Houston. So, this is where change starts to happen for her and in her case. With this new pro bono team, they brought up her abuse as a child before she was born and they uh -huh. wanted to also bring up FAS. S, fetal alcohol syndrome to speculation. So it could be used in trial. Exactly. And in her team, they found out about her through a documentary. And that was playing at like one of the festivals. And Houston Gordon was a, a post-conviction relief team. So that was who she was with. Mm -hmm. And then... Catherine Sink was her public defender, and that's when they brought up that fetal alcohol syndrome and idea. If, yeah, and if you guys don't know, basically, when they tried her for fetal alcohol syndrome, that's basically the point they were going to argue in their case, so they had to test her for it. And her results concluded that she had alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder, which means that she's seriously impaired and she doesn't function like a person and her functional abilities are not up to par and they're so bad that they're the equivalent to a person with mild mental retardation. 
So that was the, I guess, claim that they were trying to argue to get her off of her, you know. Yeah, so learning about fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome, um, especially if it starts yet like early in pregnancy, mm -hmm. it is horrible because it causes, drinking alcohol can cause like the cleft lip and like babies. It can also cause them to have behavioral issues and disorders like ADHD. They can act out, they have anger and emotional like instability. So many things that is very present in Centoya other than genetics that occurred to her when she was in utero. So that's, that's just really sad to see that play out. And this is where she is because of that. It is very sad. And they also wanted to have an appeal hearing. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they denied that claim because she still stayed in jail after that. Mm -hmm. So her life while in prison. So she attended Lipscomb University to attain her degrees. Because I guess at this point, she thought, oh, I'm going to be in prison for life. Like, I'm probably never going to get out. So let me at least try to start a life, you know, within prison. And fun fact, or a random fact, two-thirds of criminal appeals filed in state courts are reviewed and 81% of them are denied. So not a lot of criminal appeals are, you know, seen or sought through. So at this point, it's been years. 2016, Centoya is 28 years old now. She's been incarcerated for 12 years and four months. However, the following year in 2017, Centoya starts to make headlines for being incarcerated and her story starts to get out a little bit more. I personally remember seeing it on Rihanna's Instagram and she started the hashtag free Centoya Brown or she, I guess she made it more. Saw it, yeah. Yeah, known. Um, Fox News or Fox 17 Nashville also did a story on Centoya. Well, it was inspired by Centoya and a story on minors, how minors can no longer be charged and sentenced as prostitutes and then which makes the most sense. That sounds like a like duh statement. Like obviously a child should not be sold for sex. Like they because they're being groomed. Yeah. To do it. They don't know they they don't technically know better, if that makes any sense. And they well, not even that, but I've never met someone who's like a 16-year-old that's like, oh yeah. Even like in high school, I've never met someone that was like, Yeah, I'm just gonna like be a prostitute to make money. Like I want to do that. No one wants to do that. They're usually groomed they're, into it or, or kidnapped forced. or trafficked. Yeah to do that so so that occurred and she at this point also she just said that she wanted to be around people that were positive and people who weren't doing anything that was i guess like uh bad, bad or yeah, yeah illegal. or illegal and wanted to give her she wanted to carve out a life that had some kind of worth or value and that rehab was a place for her to grow up and learn about herself and to become an adult and realize that there's more to life than just the negatives and the things that she behaviors. grew up on. And, exactly. You know. So the same pro bono team that supported her in the first appeal, they filed for clemency once again. 
with the board of parole and the governor. And clemency, if you guys don't know, it's basically mercy or lenience on the behalf of the plaintiff. So in this case, they were trying to argue to have mercy on Centoya's case. Defendant. <laughs> I just defend it. So on March 19, 2018, Centoya was 30 years old. At this point, she had a parole hearing. Her team wanted to commute her sentence to second degree murder. And if that was granted, she would be eligible for parole and hopefully release. So after the hearing, they ended up with a divided group in terms of the decision. Oh, yes. What? You want to say something? (laughs) Yeah. So there were six people at the hearing. Why are all of the six people white? In Tennessee, why is it not the demographics of Tennessee? Personally, that's what I recognize. And there were also four males and two females. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, they were all white. And they were definitely between the ages of like mid 35 to like late 60s in that range. Mostly definitely in like 30, 40 and up. They were definitely like, you know, 40, 50 up. But that was just an interesting. It's not representative. It's not representative whatsoever at all. It's just so weird. Like six, these six people are deciding your fate. Like I feel like there should be more, and I feel like it should definitely be more diverse. Personally, definitely, and it's probably why it was a divided group. Um, so they were divided in terms. So basically, it was up to the governor at this point to mm-hmm. have the final say. And in there, there one of them said that. He agreed to the second degree uh, charge. Uh, one of them, that was a female. Like I said, there was two of them. One, she said, Centoya uh, could go to parole on August 2029, which means that she would have been in prison for 25 years instead of doing the whole 51, 51 years. Sentence, yeah. yeah. And the other female said that she should decline her application. And mind you, at that hearing, she had people go to bat for her. For example, um, let's see. Oh, by the way, Richard Montgomery was one of the people that were on the board of the parole at the time. And Preston Ship, who was an appellate uh, prosecutor for the attorney general office, um, he argued for her and said that she need. Oh, no. Yeah. Initially, he argued and said that she needed to spend the rest of her life in prison. However, lo and behold, she ends up being his student in uh, at Lins- uh, Liscom. Liscom. Yeah. yeah, university. And he was like, he could not believe that this person who committed this crime, who he argued to be in prison for the rest of her life, was his student. He was like, that just didn't make sense to him. He's like, wow. And after getting to know her and learn about her, and see her grow as a student, his mind changed. And now he he didn't know that he didn't know at the time, but now he believes that justice is about trying to achieve the right outcome than alleging rule um, violations. So that was the point. And he spoke on her behalf 10 years later after the at the parole hearing. And also uh, Catherine Sin, Sinback, I think that's her name. Yeah. Um, he, she also spoke for her and her behalf, and 
she was with her initially in the very beginning, 2004, um, as her juvenile, started, yeah, yeah, as her juvenile justice team. And now, um, Miss Catherine, she works with juvenile in the justice system. So that's great. Nice. That is great. And after the clemency trial, it took the governor approximately eight months to review and decide on Centoya's appeal. Yeah, one more thing. Sorry. So Anna Whaley, Wiley Whaley, she was a friend of Johnny. And this woman said that Centoya did harm and that Johnny was mugged and he no longer has a voice that would uh, that would be heard. And I but was his like, actions were heard that night. When- I was like, ma'am, your friend paid $150 to try to have sex with a 16-year-old. Why, why are you defending him? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Go ahead. That could be a discussion. <laughs> That's a whole discussion. Why are you defending this? Go ahead. But after the clemency hearing, the governor took eight months to review and decide on her appeal in which the governor commuted her sentence to 15 years, which meant that she would be released on the date of August, 2019. And she basically during that time was going to be moved to the transition group for the next seven months. And she was going to be on probation for 10 years. So the clemency hearing, I would, okay. What would you say helped in this case the most, like helps Santoya get out after, you know, what happened? What helped was the governor was leaving his office. That was the point. They, he wanted something that was going to be like a big bang. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what he did. He said I, he was going to accept it. This case was very publicized. It was all over social media, all over news, everywhere. People were basically advocating for her and saying, this was a child. She should not be punished for this, especially with net in the time during this 2017, people were saying, yeah, no, like sex trafficking was very big. It became prominent. And they're like, no, children should not have to suffer for this. So that was, that helped. And then in my opinion, I feel as if social media also helped to bring her case to the forefront. Yeah, it was, it was the perfect storm. It was like him leaving and her getting social media going viral and her hashtag going viral as well. So after how many years? 14.5, basically 15 years, basically. After 15 years in prison for committing a crime she did when she was 16 on her terms as a base of basically self-defense, she was released in 2019. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. She spent literally her whole life in prison. Does that, does, you her know what I'm saying? Like 16, life. yeah, like 16, 15. Basically, the, her whole childhood in prison, prison, like the same amount of time. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, however, that was her, like, again, like we said, she's released, she's out now, she got married. Again, she had her two, she got her two degrees. She's an advocate now. About, she wrote a memoir, a book. Oh my, yes. Yes. <laughs> she's accomplished, and I, I'm happy for her. I'm happy she was able to change her her life, her whole dynamic. And she also serves in the, as an advocate on the behalf of trafficking victims and social justice reform. Isn't so, that great? 
Santoya's doing great. I now we can talk about, I guess, more of our opinions of how we felt about this case. Yes. Okay. We had a deep discussion about this. So before yes. So before we do, I want to dig into something that a lot of people I've been hearing when I was I was researching, a mm -hmm. lot of people were bringing up, they were like, she's guilty. She deserves to be in jail, whatever. She, They said she was guilty. She deserved to be in jail? Yeah. Well, why? And so there was, like we said, the detective, Charles Robinson, he sent a letter to the governor, and this is what he said. I am a homicide detective, Charles Robinson, with the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department. I'm writing to let you know that I was the lead detective who worked the murder investigation of Johnny Allen, who was shot to death inside of his home on August 7th. Oh, sorry. It was the 7th then. August 7th, 2004. Centoya Brown was identified as a suspect and arrested for his murder. I have read, the, read in the media that you are going to be asked to consider clemency for Mrs. Brown. Centoya's Brown conviction has been upheld at every level of our judicial system, and she has also been denied in a new trial. I would like for you to know the true facts of the case before you make any decision about Centoya. First and foremost, Centoya Brown did not commit this murder because she was a child sex slave, as her advocates would like you to believe. Centoya's Brown motive for murdering child Johnny Allen and his sleep was robbery. Based on the on my investigation, Centoya Brown ran away from her adopted mother's home in Clarksville, Tennessee, and came to Nashville for reasons I never understood. Her adopted mother never reported her missing. Centoya Brown lived in Nashville for a couple of months, and during that time, she stayed on occasion with some friends, and and she he said the friends' names. On August 7, 2004, approximately 7.15 p.m., Nashville Emergency Communication Center received an anonymous phone call from a female. The caller said, send the police to the address of Mr. Allen. The, caller, the call taker asked the anonymous caller why police were needed at the location. The anonymous caller replied homicide, then hung up the phone. Parole officers were dispatched and noticed a, ra a rare door inside the garage unlocked. Parole officers entered the residence and found Johnny Allen in his bed with a gunshot wound to the head. The detectives arrived on the scene and observed that Mr. Allen was lying on his right side on the bed with his arms folded underneath his head and his fingers interlocked. Uh, Mr. Allen was positioned as if he was asleep when he was shot. Mr. Allen had a single shot gun wound to his head. The bullet entered the back of his head and exited the front of his head. The bullet then went through the bedroom wall and came to a stop on the bed in the adjacent room, bedroom. We noticed that the gun cabinet outside, I'm um, sorry, the gun cabinet downstairs was open and the weapons had been removed. It, al it also appeared that other items had been removed from the home. We noticed no vehicle at the residence. We did a motor vehicle registration check on Mr. Allen. It indicated that he was the owner of a Ford F-150 pickup. We also noticed two bags of Sonic Drive-In, um, two soft drink containers from Sonic Drive-In in the dining area. And... Checked with Mr. Allen's bank account later that revealed four transactions after his death 
on his Visa debit card. Final thoughts on this whole case, even after doing research on it and reviewing it, and even watching the documentary, it was a really nice documentary on Netflix. I recommend it. Um, I'm glad she's free at this point. Um, she went to jail when she was 16, a whole minor. And in some way, I believe that she was like coerced or groomed to sleep with this man. And based off of her life, and her family, her upbringing, and basically her surroundings, I can, I guess, understand the path that she went down because she was surrounded, you know, by trouble. And she, you know, basically got into a lot of trouble. So I, I don't know, I'm just glad she was released after 15 years because as a minor, I, based on the facts of the case the motive seemed like self-defense in my opinion it seemed like self-defense and she wasn't even like fully tried in juvenile court i mean i feel as if she should have been tried in juvenile court and then they should have you know revisited further but the fact that she was only she was basically immediately sent to criminal court or adult court. It was kind of crazy and tried for a life sentence. Like literally reviewed the facts of the case and basically threw the book at her and was like, okay, you get life. So I, that's how I feel about the case. I'm glad that she's out now, but it's crazy that she spent like literally most of her life in prison um, for doing something when she was, literally a minor <laughs> yeah so the netflix documentary is called murder to mercy um the centoya brown story definitely check it out it's yeah. a great watch it's a That's really good one <laughs> um so basically back to the questions that we were discussing was do you think she killed him on purpose i think she killed him on purpose however she again as we said she was a minor and she was being sex trafficked. And any person who wants to be out here being a pedophile and dies in the process, you deserve it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't care. Um, it is what it is. He's dead. One less pedophile on the road and streets. Next. And it's weird because I feel like I'm on the under end. Me and Mel have different, you know, opinions about, you know, the facts of the case and the conclusion they came to. I think she did it uh, self-defense. I feel like she honestly feared for her life. Maybe it couldn't have, it shouldn't have escalated to that point to where she, you know, resulted in shooting him in his head. But I don't know. There's so many things that go on with women nowadays to where I just, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it was the facts. I feel like it was the facts of the case. And I feel like it was self-defense. So, but his that, <laughs> I, I, that's my conclusion to it because literally look, researching it, looking it up, watching the documentary. No, it didn't seem as if she was just, she just wanted to go in this guy's house and just like murder him in cold blood. Well, yes, but look at this. Look at this photo. His hand, he was literally looking like he was asleep, his hands were crossed. That isn't, maybe he was, maybe there was a gun right under him. I have no idea. But again, I don't, I don't sympathize with pedophiles. 
Next. Whoa. Next question. Do you think minors should serve life sentences? Never. I don't, again, some of, yes, I understand. Some people have mental health disorders. Some people have the birth defects, like the fetal alcohol syndrome, yeah. right? I, and some have done horrendous, like horrendous things. I don't think 50 years is worth it. I think rehabilitation, I think, yes, maybe a couple years to at least 10 years, right? But being able to learn from your mistakes, being able to learn how to adapt, control your anger, your impulses, I think that's the whole point of growing, right? Like we are from children to young adults, we are able to say, you know what, maybe what I was doing at 19, 18 was not the smartest, but I'm not gonna do that again. I've grown, I've realized my mistakes. But at 16, she- A child, a whole child, yeah. And isn't it, um, there's this thing, I'm not familiar with it, but don't they say you don't develop this thing in your brain- Your frontal until, lobe. Yeah, until you're 18, right? No, 25. Eight, 25, yeah. I was 18. That's how they're trying to push the alcohol limit to like 25. Oh my gosh, well, 16 at that point, Centoya was a child that was just surrounded by a lot of mess. Yes, a lot of it. Before, even before birth, <laughs> before birth, literally in the mother's her womb. mom was doing coke and alcohol while she was pregnant with her. Isn't that crazy? Yes. You so, can't tell me that's a perfect lifestyle. Like you can't. It. Either way, her surroundings didn't set her up for the best. Outcome. And that's the story of a lot of people. It is. But we would like you guys to comment and let us know your perspectives on whether or not you think she killed them on purpose or if you think minors should serve life sentences. And you can comment that on our Instagram, legalese underscore ESE. Legal underscore ease, E-S-E. Yeah. Podcast, right? You can find us, I'm pretty, yeah. You can find us under legalese. Is it just legalese? Okay. Yeah. Bet. Yeah, legal underscore ESE. So follow feel us. free to comment. Let us know your perspectives. We want to hear from you. Yes. And we will respond too. And you can also find our podcast on Anchor, Beaker, Google Podcasts, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. And not Beaker, but Breaker. <laughs> so thank you guys once again for listening to Legalese. And we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for speaking our language, guys. Bye. Bye.